All right. I, you know, so uh, I don't think anybody has, has talked about this. I talk to all of you guys fairly frequently. So this is, uh, I was going to read the first couple of paragraphs of, of this uh, article uh, from Hannah Eldman, uh, the News Journal. Uh, Millsboro police officer under investigation for possibly tampering with drug evidence. A Millsboro Police Department officer is under investigation for potentially tampering with a controlled substance in evidence the department announced Friday. The officer, whose name has not been publicly released, has been put on paid administrative leave. Millsboro Police said the officer was found, quote, unresponsive in his patrol car at 11.20 a.m. on February 19th. He was taken to the hospital for possible exposure to fentanyl, <laughs> according to the department. The, st the statement from the department did not indicate whether there was actual fentanyl exposure or what form the exposure took. The Millsboro Police Department said that the officer who was in charge of evidence for the department may have improperly accessed drugs seized in another case when asked about why a press release was not issued until nearly a month after the investigation began. The chief of the Millsboro Police Department declined to comment. In the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. Uh, this is Rob, and this is also your Highlands Bunker podcast. Um, comrades and friends, what do we want in our in our in our struggle in our in our project, our political project? We want influence. Who has influence? Influencers. And you know what we have here tonight? Two recently named most influential people in Delaware. Super producer Carl. With a little, with a little group uh, called wor uh, Family Working Part, Working Families Party. You might have heard of them. I don't know. This sounds 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 crazy. Uh, and our main guest tonight uh, from the Public Defender's Office, uh, our friend and comrade uh, Misty Siemens. Hello. Hi, everyone. So glad you could come in. Uh, we also have um, who are we, what we have decided are influencer adjacent, uh, <laughs> Bill and Kirsten. Hello. Uh, and uh, we also have sitting in. Uh, you know what? We're not going to tell you who we have sitting in. We'll just leave it at that. We'll see if we'll see if it pops up. Somebody we, you know, a comrade and friend of ours. Uh, you know, does some work in Dover. We'll say. <clears throat> <laughs> Before we get started, uh, I do want to mention uh, a couple of weeks ago we did a patrons only episode. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback, um, so we're going to do another one. It'll drop um, just below this one the same day. Um, Will our U.S. Senate delegation make another appearance? I don't know. You'll have to pay to find out. So, uh, are you able to stay, Misty, for the for the fun part, or do you have to do you have to split? It's Wilmington, Delaware. I have literally nowhere else to be. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest place in Wilmington, I think. So far, it's been a blast. <laughs> nice. Um, well, the reason I wanted um, to have you come in uh, is to talk about. Um, the series that you've been doing for the call um, on Leobor, um, the Cop Bill of Rights. We're going to take another stab at it this session to try to get some reforms. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, what you're writing, why you sort of chose to, to present it in this way, and also some other, um, some other questions about um, myths specifically and history specifically, because it's something we've all been working on, and I think it actually sort of... Uh, dovetails into this uh, this story a little bit. But first of all, had, I guess you had 
read the Millsboro story that I had read to kick off. Um, I mean, that's a that's a classic Leobor situation, right? We don't know what the history is. We don't know who did what. We'll, we'll probably we may never know. Like, can you sort of explain using that as an uh, as a uh, example uh, where we at where we're at with with Leobor and why um, it's so nefarious? Well, I think that when you read the article and some of the art- other articles that have been released um, about that particular case, um, as far as I know, I don't believe an officer name has been provided to the press. Um, I'm not sure of that, but that's my belief. Um, and so I think that's the first issue, right? And then the second issue is, I think, you know, what the News Journal talked about in their story is the delay um, in talking to people about it. Um you know, there's some information in there, right, about um, evidence um, and the accessibility to evidence. And I think that people who are interested in something like this happening or something like the Delaware State Police um, interacting with the school where the um, alleged threat was made, um, there's, you know, story after story, it seems, where if you're interested in police reform, there's so many different areas where one has to ask, why am I not allowed to know more information about this? Um, and I think the answer to that, right, is the Delaware Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights or Leobor. Um, and so then the next question is, why is that still Delaware law? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little I'm disappointed because and I don't want to get sort of to the end of the of the story, at least as it stands now, because my understanding is uh, it's already sort of getting fiddled with and broken apart. And, you know, I, I, what, you know, the, the Delaware way gets their hooks into something. And even when something almost has to happen, you know, there was, uh, there's been several, um, you know, police have killed several more people um, since we last talked, I think. Um, one on Maryland Avenue specifically. And, um, and, and people stand up and, and are, are like sort of shocked by it and, and real mad. And I, I saw Franklin Cook standing next to Kobe or something at some press conference and he was real mad. Um, but he's he's full of shit, that guy, because ultimately the, what the Delaware Way is going to do, I think. And I don't know if you have any comment on this. They're, gonna, they're going to create a situation whereby something gets done and it impacts barely anybody um, is is. is are, are, do you have a feel for, um, you know, what the what the pressure is going to be like? I mean, we've picked up the pressure. You, you, you know, you specifically, and the Office of Defense Services specifically have really stepped it up, as did what the ACLU has done too. Um, but like, you know, from what I'm hearing, I'm not particularly optimistic about it. Um, are are you hearing anything that you can share, or what, what's your feelings just in general about uh, where this is going to go? With that, we have two reforms that we're looking at. Um, one is, I guess, just uh, history, like uh, cop history, and I don't remember what the other one is, but um, maybe you can talk about what's on the table right now, and then we can talk about some of the stuff that you've been writing about in the call. I don't really know what is on the table right now in the Delaware General General Assembly, so I can't really speak to that. Um, I do know that what we're hoping for is meaningful police reform, and that would mean public access Um, to serious misconduct records, um, attorney access to serious misconduct records, um, uh, access to substantiated and unsubstantiated claims. Um, And then also um, what I think is important here is retroactive access. 
um, because if you read the fine print of the substitute bill from spring of 2022, um, it would only be prospective access, so records moving forward. And there's a couple of problems about that. Um, the first problem is that when you look at wrongful convictions nationwide, um, over 50% involve government misconduct and 35% involve police misconduct. And so as a public defender, I am worried that I have clients who are sitting in prison, possibly for the rest of their lives, who have been impacted by police misconduct. Um, the second reason we need retroactive access um, is because if there's only access moving forward, we're not going to know what it used to look like when they thought it was secret. And so that's why that's a really important thing, I think, for my office and for other people who care about this issue and are working really hard on it. Yeah, and I, th I think one of the reasons, uh, one of the myriad of reasons that they're working so hard to block it at every turn and every session every year um, is because when we when the day comes and we do find out what it was like when they thought it was secret, I think it's going to be it's it's already bad just with what we know. It's going to be an absolute horror show. Um, and I think most I think a lot of people who um, work closely with it like you do, uh, like the folks at the ACLU and other people who are like in that game uh, for you know, uh, police reform, uh, probation and parole reform, all that stuff. I, I think they know it sort of deep down that this is a real horror show. And so I, 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 I wonder whether that is going to come into play in sort of the roadblocking as well, because it's going to be bad. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the history. I, I really like the way that um, you decide to put together this series for the call um, and sort of walk through sort of a background and a history, and then um, what we're calling myths. Um, I think that's so important. Uh, we're embarking on a history project that's sort of, as we're doing it, turning into like a Mythbusters sort of situation, where it's like a lot of people in Delaware have an idea of what things are, and it's completely wrong. Um, I go back to the How Weitzman comment, um, at the University of Delaware a few weeks ago. Uh, Hal Weitzman wrote uh, What's the Matter with Delaware uh, about the corporate state and the corporate franchise, and there's a lot of history in there, and, the, and Dale, Dale Norwood, a historian at the University of Delaware, mentioned that he really appreciated the, the thorough history uh, of how you know we sort of got to this situation with the corporate franchise. And Hal's comment was, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting because when he was a correspondent for the Financial Times in South America, he said wherever he went, whether it was Peru, Bolivia, whatever, whatever he was writing about at the time, whatever current event or economic topic he was writing about, he had to add context, historical context. He was like, and usually what people wanted was you had to go back to like the Spanish conquistadors or something. And so people really understood this historical drive, this material drive to understand where we where we get. He said, when I was doing this work in Delaware, anybody you talked to wanted to pretend like yesterday didn't happen. Like whatever it is today, it's today. Don't ask us yesterday. Don't ask us what, you know, how it got here or why or who did what or how it was engineered or how this institution came into being or what it's done in the past. This is what this institution does. And that's it. And. When, when 
you sort of presented um, a lot of this sort of like this in that same vein, and it was interesting to hear how. I know some people were on that call. It was interesting to hear him put it in, in those words because we're running into that ourselves too. Yeah, and Misty, with this with Leobor, I think it's part two of the series in the call. As a uh, legislative history wonk, I really appreciated <laughs> the uh, uh, the transcripts of the of the audio recordings. So, like, you can probably like elaborate on this, but just the journey of Leobor from being legislation that was resisted by police chiefs, resisted by a Republican governor, a rather conservative or maybe moderate conservative governor, and then eventually. Uh, strengthened in a kind of a pro-policing way by Tom Carper when he was governor. Um, it was just cool to see like the transcripts of the legislators hashing out the bill post Rodney King, mm. right? That was a real turning point nationally and locally for this concept of Leobor. Well, I guess that makes two legislative wonks uh, because um, when you start looking into legislative history, it gets real wild. Um, we did receive the legislative history recordings um, on digital files and not on like some sort of vinyl recording or something. A wax um, cylinder. <laughs> there was <laughs> none of that, thank God. You need a 78 uh, like phonograph to play it. <laughs> um, you know, I think like the question keeps becoming like, why, why, why? And it just keeps getting you further into this, right? And so like with this, when I started out as a public defender, and I'm, I'm, I promise I'm going to answer the question, I was thinking to myself, how is police, how are police misconduct records secret? And then I realized, oh, there's a law in Delaware that makes them secret. And then I was like, well, how did this become a law? And you just start kind of digging yourself deeper and deeper. And so when we were trying to figure out what happened here, um, we went back um, to get the legislative history for it. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to John Afredo. He's probably, you know, does not want me to say his name, but John Afredo is the one that really helped us with getting the recordings and with um, all of the materials and did a lot of the newspaper research as well. Um, and so I am going to give him a shout out. John, you deserve it. Up the tune. Um, so I think, you know, the thing here was um, an accommodation of looking at Delaware history and then also comparing it to what was going out on um, in the rest of the country. It some scholars have connected that there was a civil rights movement and then in the 70s there was kind of a push against that and it was to give um, more rights to in this example police officers and so the first um leo Bohr was in maryland our neighbor and then we got ours in 1985 and when you go back and listen to the recordings like it's a little scary right because you are hearing the same words that people who care about this issue say um the fox guarding the hen house is on the recording and um, paramilitary is on the recording. And you're listening to this stuff and you're like, oh, my God, it, there, there's a foreshadowing and it's still passed. Right. And, um, you know, for people that aren't as familiar with it, in 1985, Delaware's Leo um was basically just setting up what I call special due process for police officers. So if there's a complaint against a police officer. Um, then they get um, a special way for that to be handled. And it went to where it was other police officers who got to um, investigate, evaluate, review, decide, and discipline when there's police misconduct. It wasn't until, from what I can find from legislative history, 1991, where then a confidentiality clause was added. 
And that's really important here because of Rodney King. And Rodney King was a guy in California who was beat by the police. It was not the first time a guy was beat by the police. But what was important about it was someone caught it on tape. And they caught it on an old-fashioned thing. I think it was a VHS. Which... Yeah, it was like a camcorder. It was like the first uh, like shoulder camcorder type of deal, I'm pretty sure. I think he was on his apartment balcony. Something like that. And he was just like playing with a new toy that he got. And caught it. And there had been you know, problems with the LAPD for years. And it blew up. And after that blew up and people started to really acknowledge that there was a problem with police brutality in this country, you know, there had been problems for years. But the first time, I think in the 90s at least, there was really a focus on it. It's interesting to me that then all of a sudden there's a confidentiality clause being introduced in Delaware to make the records that presumably were public private. And that's the connection. And I thought to myself, that's a weird connection. And then I listened to the audio recording and they talk about Rodney King on the recordings. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was um, so interesting was the police representative um, says, well, like, look, guys, you know, that's totally different. You know, like, it'll it'll be fine. You know, that would be public because of a lawsuit. Don't worry about it. And it's like, no. It's not. And they got then. So they got past the General Assembly the same year. But to Bill's point, it isn't a nice, sweet ride into law. Um, the attorney general's office opposes it because they're worried that the language will mean they don't get access. Then the Republican governor, Mike Castle, um, vetoes it. And then it takes another four years for it to pass and become law. Um, and so I think that it's interesting that it took four years for the confidentiality clause to become law in Delaware. And now police misconduct records are secret. And they're secret um, to everyone unless you are the police officer being complained about um, or um, you are uh, get an exception from the federal court to have access to them if you're suing for discrimination against other police officers, right? So if you are a police officer who feels like you've been discriminated against and disciplined more strongly or not promoted based upon gender, ethnicity, race, you might want to see how other people are being disciplined for the same types of things. Under the law, you can't get it, but the federal courts have made a carve out. And then another exception is if you sue in 1996, one year later, there was a carve out made in Delaware law for civil attorneys suing for injury or damages to have access to this stuff. So if you sue for that, then you can have access to these records. But other than that, the public doesn't have access, the media does not have access, and criminal defense attorneys do not have access. And why that's so important, if I'm allowed to keep doing a monologue, you guys got to cut me off at some point. This is good. Um, is um, because we represent people who are facing the rest of their life in prison, point blank period. And unfortunately, when you look at the numbers of um, how police misconduct impacts people who are facing prison time, it's important for us to be able to have access to that. Um, un anyone who um, wants to play um, a drinking game at home, uh, whenever I say under Delaware law, you can have a drink, um, but don't <laughs> drive. Um, under Delaware law, um, if I can establish a catch-22 of a factual predicate, that there's police misconduct, so I should get the police misconduct records. A court might grant that to me. But the problem is, is that we have to 
establish a catch-22 factual predicate when we don't have the records to say that there's a problem. And in my review of the case law, um, there's only been six or seven um, on-the-record rulings granting an in-camera review of police misconduct records where the attorney was able to meet the factual predicate threshold. So that's the lawyer part. That's pretty much over. Um, but that's that's why the it's it's important here. Public access, media access, um, all attorneys having access, um, and making sure that anyone who would need access to this type of information can have it, including not having the federal courts make a carve out for people suing for discrimination, having it be part of Delaware law that these things can be accessible. Yeah, I think it's important to note as well that um, like <clears throat> Maryland has repealed theirs completely. Other states, you know, never had them. And I believe you were on a call. We got contacted through uh, other channels. I don't even remember how it happened, but we were able to put a call together with a journalist working in Chicago. Um, and their group is trying to sort of catalog what type of just like basic training, like police training information for everybody on the force that they're supposed to have. And they're, they're going through each state to see you know, what's available. And we have a call with this guy and we're trying to explain to him like, yeah, we don't get any of that. He's like, what, what are you talking about? He was like, it's just like the basic, like everybody got like certified in this or that. I'm like, oh yeah, we get nothing. And you have to explain it to people and they're, they're, they're legitimately confused. Um, you know, because I've, I've said before, you know, you listen to the boilerplate sort of, uh, you know, apologia or, you know, maybe uh, Przicki or somebody goes down and does a press conference somewhere where there was a shooting, say, and and they'll say, you know, if they're, they're, we're trying to build community trust, you know, if there's no trust, you know, we can't do. But that only goes one way. Right. Like <clears throat> the fact of the matter is nobody trusts the police and th nobody's going to trust the police because they they work in secret um, when stuff does come out. Uh, it, it's, it's indicative of a, of a much larger problem. It's even very difficult to prosecute. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I think we saw each other uh, at the closing statements of the, the State versus McCall trial, uh, the cop who shot Yahim Harris. The fact of the matter is um, shooting Yahim Harris was fine. That he, that he, he got out of that with, you know, with no problem. Uh, the the lying and the and the, the barrel didn't the ballistics problem and all of that created a legal problem uh, for McCall that he had to then answer answer for, but the the violence, no, no issue, and really the only reason we have any idea of what it looked like was because we have a fuzzy image from Pete's Pizza on Market Street, and that's it, and so. Um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where I'm always, I get very peaked when I hear people talk about this and talk about, uh, you know, there has to be some trust or a two-way street. You go first. You mm -hmm. first. That's the way sort of I look at it. Plus, again, you would think that a sworn officer who has a monopoly on violence can carry a gun and, and, and use violence pretty much whenever she or he chooses to do it a very wide berth. Um, the scrutiny on them should be higher, actually. They should have to meet a higher standard. Not, not even, I mean, a lower standard would be at least a standard. Now there's really no standard unless we get, you know, unless we get lucky enough to catch something on video. That's it. And so I, I really hope people sort of understand what the situation is 
um, it's 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 bad. And as you said, you have clients that are sitting in prison because of it. Um, who knows? You know what happened in in Millsboro with this guy? I mean, he's uh, it's, I think it was a he, uh, in, in charge of you know all of the evidence for the police department. Who, I mean, it's even hard to put together what really happened. I don't know. I I, I guess he stole drugs and then pretended that he was touched fentanyl and did that cop thing where they you know they touch fentanyl and they almost die. That fake thing. That's fake. Everybody, just to let you guys know. Um, yeah, we can't even put to, we can't even. Plate. This person's in charge of all the evidence for the police department, and we have no idea what's happening. Is this person a thief? Are they a drug addict? Are they a lunatic? Are they, are they taking money? What are they doing? We have no idea. So, you know, if you don't trust the cops, you're making, uh, to me, a, a reasonable... You're, you're looking at the situation as it is and saying, yeah, you, you shouldn't. And I think the thing there, right, is we only know about the examples you've brought up because they've either been arrested or it's been in the newspaper. And there are many examples, but I I do believe that it is just the surface of issues, the ones that rise to that level of either the newspaper getting a hold of it or someone being criminally charged. So um, I think that if that is any indication of what else is going on, then people should be concerned about who's policing their backyards. And I think it's also because of the video too, right? Um, So there was the one case where um, the young man was, um, his head was shoved into the shelving at a store and a video was watched there, right? Um, But it was the store video. Um, And I believe that was the officer that had the issue with the middle finger in another state, giving a middle finger to somebody. Um, I don't remember. I know, I do know, you know, because I talked to Denny during the McCall trial that he is actually going on trial in a month, I think. But yeah, there fellow was... influencer, uh, well, <laughs> you made the list. <laughs> you talking about Denny or me? Denny. <laughs> oh, he's a big. Well, Denny was he was he was on it. He was. Yeah, I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and they even mentioned like guy. he's the only he's the only uh, you know he's the only you know person in justice that can that. And they put it like this. The only person who can, like, really oversee the police is this one guy. Yes, yes. That, it was, you know. Yeah. It was kind of, like, horrifying how they, they described it, though. Yeah, it was, like, yeah, it was I remember. the one level of oversight, essentially, Yes, yeah, so old mop buckets. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we had a conversation I, I mentioned to you. I was like, you know, I I appreciate what you're doing, but I I said the same thing to him in the hallway that I just said to you. I said, it's just funny that we're sitting here because, you know, shooting uh, – his his mom Yahim's mom was there. I said, you know, shooting his son in the back, running away was fine. The only reason we're even here is just because he's an idiot. He lied. This is, this is the fucking dummy. Um, you know, it's just it's 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 really um, distressing when you when you think about it. I mean, we, we've talked about you know uh, uh, the guy in Dover, Webster, uh, you know, ad nauseum at this point. But he went on to you know to kill someone in Maryland. So um, yeah, I mean, we have to start putting the pieces together. And there's going to be a lot of pieces to put together, I think. Um, you know, I wonder, with all this stuff that happens, too, I, you never see, you know, the big push the last time, the last, like, Band-Aid. And I wonder what you think of this, because I know you are you have, I think, more access to body cam footage than, uh, you know, a civilian, let's say. Um, because, you know, that was the big push the last time. Well, we'll get everybody body cams. That was the, the, after the George Floyd thing. And that's not helping. As far as I can tell, they either are not available to everybody 
They're only available to certain people in certain situations. Maybe you can explain what those are. Um, but I'm not seeing, I mean, uh, they did release the, the body cam footage of the Lyman Moses thing, which was heinous, but those guys got off anyway. So I, I don't, I, can you talk a little bit about that sort of band-aid they try to do and whether that is, is any um, help for people like yourself who are trying to not only hold the police accountable, but, but help, the, help your clients in situations where the state is, 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 is lying uh, and doing some nefarious shit? I think the body-worn camera program, for what we have, has actually been wonderful. And perhaps that's controversial. What I mean by that is something is better than nothing. And um, in my experience, I've had clients say <laughs> things for years and they weren't supported by any other evidence. And now we have video evidence supporting what I've been hearing for years um, about interactions with police. However, are there ways to improve? Yes, a couple things. Um, the law requires law enforcement officers to have body cameras. Law enforcement officers, all of them, should have body cameras. All of them should be following the regulations that were put out by the police. One must ask oneself, what is going to start happening if police officers don't activate their body camera? What's the stick in that carrot and stick dynamic. And if you look at the regulations, there's some vague language about what to do if an officer um, does not activate it when they're supposed to. And that might be an area of growth um, and improvement that's going to be needed. Are you seeing that? Um, you know, because you hear it every once in a while, oh, it malfunctioned or it got turned off or it didn't come on or anything like that. I mean, is that... Uh, common or is that sort of like not as common how often are you dealing with that it's not as common but i do have examples and are you uh, is the only time you're able to access that when one of your clients says this is what happened in this when, when we you know when i was arrested or we had this exchange and then you're able to to go and get it or, or is this available to you for review outside of that uh, that charge or that accusation from your client? Um, as part of discovery, we're requesting all body-worn cameras from those incidents. Every time? Every time. Right. That must be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I wonder... Um, now, do... do and this is another sort of carve-out situation. Now, I guess like the Maryland Avenue situation the patrol car will have a dashboard cam, but the incident was really, the catalyst of the incident was an unmarked truck and a plainclothes officer who murdered the guy. Now, are they, uh, they don't wear body cameras because they're plainclothes, they can't have anything, right? So if that, if, 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 the, if the other, am, am I right to say if that patrol car wasn't there, there wouldn't have been at least any kind of police provided footage. Now we got footage from across the street that was released to the news. So we kind of have a little bit of an idea what happened. But um, is there is there footage of that from the patrol car, do you know? I mean, would you know? Um, there must be, it, mu it must exist. Um, is, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether, it's interesting that that hasn't been released when the, I feel like the, 
the Lyman Moses stuff was released fairly quickly. I don't remember how long it was. Does anybody remember? No. no. Well, that was fairly quickly, but because people put pressure on Matt Meyer to accelerate the timeline. Nobody's putting pressure on him to accelerate the timeline now with this? I guess not. Uh, well, honestly, it's just the family, I don't think, is involved. Right. Um, I mean, I looked into this as we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and they're actually all, like, MAGA Republican types, which I, th- I think means they're probably less likely to be a little bit more vocal about this particular sort of thing, whereas people who, like, Lakeisha, who is Lamamos' brother, she'd already been really involved in the community doing organizing activism for a while, even before all this happened. So she was, you know, able to get connected and start pushing for stuff fairly quickly. That's a shame, um, because I did... It occurred to me that that sort of wasn't happening, and it also occurred to me that... Now, I obviously didn't know sort of the political persuasion or the cultural persuasion of the guy's family, but I think it was pretty... It was clear to me that he was white, I think I don't know if I don't know why I thought that uh, maybe by his name but it's the name yeah. yeah it was clear to me that this was a white guy and I was like man you know is, is anybody is anybody going to step up and and sort of and demand more action uh or not because now I sort of have a better feel for why that's not really happening that's a shame it's a real shame yeah I think he deserves justice as much as anybody else. Yeah, no, I mean, frankly, if, if somebody were to call me, if, if if Kiki or Lakeisha or anybody were to call me and say, hey, will you come to the Newcastle thing and, and protest for this, I, I would I would go. I think, you know, I, I think it should happen. But, you know, there's not a – everybody's time is, like, already spread as thin as probably you can get it. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I understand why it isn't, but it's um it's such a shame. Because yes, I agree with you, Carl. This 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 is just as bad. This person deserves just as much justice. And and, and regardless of what the cops are going to tell you, the situation was um, whether he had you know a, a pound of heroin in the back seat didn't deserve to be uh, didn't deserve to be blown away in a bodega parking lot. So, all right, I've I've upset myself now. <laughs> I think. So do we, do we want to bring in our our, our secret guest? To, to see if our secret guest has any sort of, do you have a feel for what's going on? We can cut this out, but my 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 concern is that, as I said before, that there's movement afoot to, you know, pull everything out, separate whatever reforms were on the table, um, you know, water those down and and, and put them on separate paths and all of that in an attempt to you know, just spread everything thin. And if, you know, if one reform gets through, hey, great, we can say that we did something. I mean, is am I, am I just too, like, nihilistic about it? Or do you get the feeling that that's sort of what's, what's going down? I mean, aren't you pretty nihilistic about everything? Yeah, well, I guess, <laughs> yes. That's why I'm saying, like, maybe my, my uh, standard sort of outlook is, is bleak and, but I, I will say this, I, I, I have been, people have told me that the, that the legislators who are sort of tasked with shepherding these reforms through the legislator, legislature um, are weak. Um, they're looking to sort of bail out on it. 
um, you know, people's power is all tied up in, uh, see, you know, I'll say it, I'll say it, Darius Brown has to wait for his, for his, his, his uncle, his uncle Frank to tell him what to do. And if Darius's uncle Frank tells him to do something, he'll do it. And if Darius's uncle Frank doesn't tell him, he won't do it. So, uh, I mean, you don't have to put to, it in those to terms. the listeners. I'll just say, um, Rob's trying really hard to get me in trouble again, um, <laughs> but it won't work. <laughs> yeah, nobody's listening to this. Yeah, nobody's listening to. This. Let's see how committed these haters are. Will they pay? Will they pay? Oh, this to, is going out for to free, get me right? in this trouble. Is, this is going oh, out. This is a free one. So be Dang. careful. Lisa. Okay. Any, well, I mean, Carl's. Either way, you know, I'm not afraid of you people. Um, who was it? Who you say that all the time? I ain't afraid of you, Bernie Mac. I ain't afraid of you, motherfuckers. Yeah. Hit <laughs> me. <laughs> well, we're gonna, okay. We're gonna so, put that. <laughs> I, first it. off, so let me right kick it right. So um, I'll start by saying I didn't know Frank and Darius were related. Um, but, well, I I used, but that. I am related to like well by marriage. I'm related to like a few different representatives through Chester. So, I believe it. Um, I, I, I am just not made that up, as by the way. I don't know you that. did. Okay, well, yeah, uh, I'm not as um, nihilistic or uh, cynical as you are in general, and also on this specific issue, um, I can't I can't assume what people's intentions are. But what I will say is, um, I know there are quite a few members that want to get something substantive done this year and so if their if their strategy is let's attack you know on a few different fronts and see what gets through i think that makes sense i think um for a few years now the community and legislators have been working to address leabor and we haven't gotten anywhere um so if someone you know whoever it is that's that's leading the effort because i'm not quite sure about that at this point on the house side um Whoever is leading the effort, if they think that we need to take it into a few different steps, they're probably right. <laughs> um, and as someone who hasn't gotten much monumental things done in my two and a half years, um, I don't feel poised to critique <laughs> people's That's fair. strategies. I will, I will say this. <laughs> That's perfectly fair. Um, I will say this. I will say if, if you if you can find me someone who's been there four years or six years or eight years who have gotten something that I would consider monumental done, I would be happy to know it. That was because a great I'm caveat. Really... You hear that? Do you hear the caveat guys that mm. I would consider? Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, people come in here and try to bullshit me all the time and tell me, you know, Oh, we, we tweaked, we tweaked the way you can put money into a savings account or we, we let, um, Hey, you can d donate two dollars to Classy if you check this box. I'm talking about real shit. Now, people can come in and, and make a case and say, "I think this change was a substance, was you know, had some substance to it. I think this really had an impact for a, a great number of people." Make that case. Um, I think like maybe maybe uh, pay time off, pay family leave. Mm, Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, that's just state employees though, but it's still good. Um. But, I mean, I'm struggling to think of more than that, actually. Um, well, we have both. Like, the program that's starting for all employees. Oh, yeah. oh so right, that's, right, right. Starting that's in a few years, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And of then, course, like, like, Larry's like, got <laughs> Delaware Earns, which was big, which yeah. was creating a program for people to re have a retirement fund when they don't get, it, like, a employee uh, funded one. So like those, that's that that's just So two. that's like a state uh, that's um, like a state 401k so you, is that what that is? Yeah, basically I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm not going to call it. Don't that hold me to it. Too. But like people that so there's a lot of people that don't have access to an employer yes. assisted program and they tend to be folks that actually need a retirement account, right? So um 
Larry was in just as long as me, got that done, right? So again, not I'm not here to bash myself the whole time, but I I do want to be fair and not critique people's strategies. I know I know like Senator Lockman worked really hard to bring the community in as well as to hear from all the stakeholders, right? We love that word. Yeah, I don't. Police, right? So like she listened to a lot of people and I remember towards the end of session, community members were telling me don't do not support this version of of reform. It's not enough. It's going to be worse than doing nothing. Um, and I think at this point, what we're, what other legislators are trying to do is get something done that's better than doing nothing, <laughs> um, not a step backwards. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I guess this the, the idea of stakeholders, since you brought it up, I think is a good one. Because, um, I don't know, not to give too much away, but I'm working on a particular item that is a piece of legislation that's going through the process. And... Um, so I, I watched, I, I was watching it, and I sent a picture of the screen of me watching this committee hearing to Carl, and I said, this is miserable fucking work. Well, listen to this shit. Um, but I listened to it, and, and, and you hear, like, these lobbyists come up and say, uh, you know, we disagree. We've, we, we already, you know, we did, we did this thing two years ago. Now you're doing this? This is just too much. And you're like, the ball's on these people to say that, first of all. And then you think, like, this group that they're representing, that they're lobbying for, represents they said, 400 people, 500 people, 200 people, stakeholders. Um, yeah, like the problem is we call those stakeholders because they just send in money. That's why they're a stakeholder. Like that's not really a stakeholder. That's just someone who you rely upon to get money. I mean, not you don't, but the royal you. And so I, I'd like to. Tr- what is the royal you? The people, like a general. A, a, That's a, a new a, one. A, a, a the the general. Man, these pronouns are just getting too. Pron- <laughs> what are you calling? It's all this week? about cancel culture. <laughs> I'm trying. It's a pillar of the ANC is to stop this cancel culture. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean that the general idea is that a stakeholder, like for example. We have we were just talking about a huge problem with the police, police violence, police just bad behavior like this evidence stuff, all of it. The idea that then the police can come in and be like, yeah, you know what, we really sort of want to continue to do this in secret if we can, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. We're a stakeholder, so what we're saying is sort of more important than what everybody else is saying. So if you can just let us run rampant over people's heads. Uh, and beat them down and do whatever we want. That would be that would be real super. That would be great. Yes, of course. It's sort of like asking a rich person if they want their taxes to go up. They're a, they're a job creator. It's the same thing, right? Job creator. I don't care about any of that stuff. And so that's why I'm never convinced about like, well, you know, they we talked to all the police unions and they they don't like it. Yeah, well, no shit. That's that's the problem. Like, we talk to all of the landlords, and they don't want tenants to have a right to counsel. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, we talk, to, um, we talk to the school superintendents, and they don't want the teachers to have two extra, sick t- two extra ways to use their sick time. Well, of course they don't. Like, I don't yeah. care. Yeah. We have to look at it like there's a, there's a thing, that there's a project we're trying to accomplish. There are changes that we need to, to make... Uh, 
you know, to just at this point, just to mitigate violence that the cops do. We're not even getting into a situation where we can start actually improving people's lives. We're literally trying to mitigate uh, serious violence. And we still have to pretend that there's two sides. The two sides are, 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 are going to be recognized in this debate. The cops gave up their stakeholder status because they keep blowing people away in the street. So until we get to that point, I, I, I don't see where it, I, I, I think we're going to continue to struggle to have these conversations because I don't think some people think we should have some discourse. I think we shouldn't. I think we should say what the problem is and solve the problem. And if the people doing the problem, if the people murdering people in the street don't like it, well, that's too bad. Are, are criminals stakeholders when we pass crime laws? Does anybody ask, hey, do you, you're, you're, you know, you're selling, do you want to go to jail for longer for this? No one asks them. They're stakeholders. Of course, it's a one-way street. Yeah, Rob, to your point, like, I think, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but why is there... Why is full repeal of Leobor just like not a position with a voice? Like, I mean, why, Maryland did it already. It's like why very cut it, and dry yeah. that way. So That's why are we question. starting from a from a bargaining point of well, we're actually going to have four community members on the the review board, not five? Or, you know, like just getting yeah. into the minutia when you have a really tangible idea that you could talk to people at the doors about full repeal of Leobor. So. Good so, question. You know, that's, Great question. Yeah, I mean, I know I think, the answer. I think. Yeah, like, and I think. Again, so like this isn't my bill and I haven't been in the like, you know, strategy meetings and things like that. Um, so I'm looking at it from the outside and I would say most likely the sponsors of the bill have determined that that is not a passable bill. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. And like that's normally what happens. Now, I will say there are plenty of instances where Democrats in Delaware, Democrats in D.C., start negotiating before there's a negotiation, right? Like we come to the table with a compromise and then compromise on the compromise. So that could be the case, but seeing how things happened last year and also seeing that there wasn't as much change in the makeup of the body that we were expecting or hoping for with the election, it's likely that there just is not enough people that would, that are willing to vote that way. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a simple majority bill, right? So that's 21. Um, I don't know. I mean, we couldn't get 21 people to vote to like recognize National Atheist Day. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, I haven't Perfectly been counting votes holiday. on this. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's that's that, that's that's interesting because we've had a lot of like talk. We've had a lot of talk behind the scenes on that that National Atheist Day thing. But I, I guess we'll, we'll sort of leave it maybe for the fun for the fun. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it's just a <laughs> terrible, yeah. But I, terrible, I but I think uh, that's it's. I think that Bill's event. point. There has to be a change of mindset. And that's, I guess, what I'm driving at. Like, yes, I realize that there are a lot of um, there are a lot of legislators who think that a lobbyist who represents, you know, 150 people or a thousand people uh, is their friend. And they want to make sure that their interests are are, like that's that's one thing I want to add to this, though. Like, it's not just about it's not so simple as, oh, like. We listen to lobbyists because they give us money or we listen to them because they're our friends. Um, I think people have legit. I think there's legitimate concerns um, as to how would this get implemented? How will this change people? Like how are we talking about Leobor? We're talking about Leobor specifically, but in general, right? Like um, 
how like we're talking about here today we're talking about body worn cameras right so having a conversation with police officers about when you're when you're out in the field and you interact with someone when do you turn it on how do you turn it on are you having issues turning it on right those kinds of questions around policies that they're going to be the ones that's not a to- policy though that is a uh... That is a training. That's an, the implementation of a piece of equipment. Right, but like the way that we implement the that is, is going to be based how many, on how they, like, they're the ones that actually do it, right? So if they say, right. hey, just, it doesn't make sense for me to stop and turn this on, it should just be running, sure. then maybe that's information that we gain from having a conversation right, with them. But that, right? but, so but, having well, a conversation saying, itself is not the problem. Right. It's how like, how do we value their feedback and how do we how do we – what do we do with it, right? Like, is it feedback that's like, oh, good to know. Now we're going to edit this so that it's actionable. Or, you know, we're going to, like, one of the concerns that we're hearing a lot, right, is not just from police, but from everyone. We can't hire anybody. There's no one that wants to work, right? We've heard this, this rhetoric. That's why but we're literally fifty or $500,000. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, like, the police departments are struggling to hire. And at the same time, our actual constituents that live in our districts are reaching out saying, my neighbors are speeding and my kid almost got hit when they got off the bus, right? Can you have a police officer sit on the street and make sure people stop speeding through our neighborhoods? These are actual concerns that I get often from communities where they want more of a police presence. And I have to tell them, we don't have any, like we don't have the resources to put somebody in a car watching people speed. They need to go to accidents. They need to go to actual like emergencies. Um, so there, I think there is a disconnect between what we see as what people want and what they actually do. And also policing in general, like what people want from police. They don't want necessarily somebody who's going to like frisk you when you're walking on the sidewalk. But a lot of communities, black and white communities, want more of a police presence. Right. And here's what and you we do. don't have enough police to give them what they're asking for. Correct. Because so did, if, you, did you listen to my conversation with yeah. James Nolan? Um, the guy, the, the guy, West British Virginia guy. guy. He, he, he's yeah. always, he's always. Um, he was an ex Wilmington cop. He was an ex. Oh no, yes, he was a yes, professor. yes, yes, yes. yes a professor did. to West Virginia. Yes. He's an ex Wilmington cop. The, the the problem is that we're trying to the the people who are calling you, I think, mm-hmm. who want you know people just to look out in the community to make sure people aren't driving crazy, or make sure you know that kind of stuff. You don't need cop what we consider law enforcement. Right, right. To so do that. that's that's like a whole nother conversation. It's not. Around, though. It is though. It's not. It is. It's not. You <laughs> gotta make like, everything so, too fucking hard. No, I mean it, it's a philosophical. Um, but yeah, I think like, and thank you, Medina, for breaking this down. And I think like, there's not an inherent contradiction here between what Medina is saying and what like an abolitionist believes. It's just that like, okay, we have to figure out then what is. What is the work? We have to be having conversations with people about what they really want. And then we have to pose questions to them about like, okay, if you're doing this, did you get the desired outcome? And if not, why do you think that is? You know, because I think like all of us are always, we're having new experiences. We're learning more information. And um, if we can get folks to think critically about kind of like what they're seeing, maybe they will change their minds about the best way for them to have public safety and have like robust supported communities, you know? So, but also like that's not work that should be happening in government bodies is my take. So I think like I, 
don't touch that. Yeah, <laughs> leave that mic. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, but yeah, I just, I, I just wanted to chime in here because I think like the what Medina is saying is, I mean, I don't, I obviously as not being a legislator don't have that perspective, and I think it's useful. But I also, I don't want that to be laid out and it'd be like, oh, well, I guess there's nothing for us to do. We just kind of take this fatalistic no, view yeah, because it's right. like, no, there's plenty. It's just that we all are coming at this from different places and we can serve complementary roles, but we're going to be serving very different roles in terms of the work, you know? <laughs> so you're coming at it from a, a community organizing standpoint and, and an activist standpoint, and you're a legislator. Now, my... The, the reason I'm confused is I don't see any problem. What 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 you're describing in the legislature is is basically saying like our our jobs are now we we have to fit within the this these mm. these things. We can't bring up. No, we can't so talk about. Yeah, we can't. We we can only you know because it took us so long to even get and we still haven't gotten marijuana passed because of the veto. But like I don't. I think that within government, people can can discuss, raise issues, and 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 push ideas that we would put that that you would get from that, that from the community. You can talk about this stuff. Like I understand that. Like I guess you said yeah. something so, like I said something like you know they don't have to have guns. You, 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 you could you could create a whole new division of public safety that are unarmed that go out and just and just do traffic tickets. That's a law. The legislature could create a, a a division of public safety, and they maybe people would like to work there and not be a cop because people don't like cops. And then the the legislature has created a whole state, or 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 maybe they do it by a county, whatever they do, and 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 the, and, and that. That addresses the need for someone for public safety for for the constituent yeah. services that you're talking about, and I think that that's a legitimate f uh, role for government and the legislature. And and so and that, I that's kind of what yeah. I was saying. I don't, Does that make I don't sense? think there's a disagreement here. Okay, think, okay. And like that's, that's the only point I was trying to make is like you can actually now again yeah. that's not going to that's not going to happen overnight, but I do think that that's a legitimate role for someone in your role. Agreed, and I, and that's a great idea actually as well. So I might. Oh, thank you. Can down. you we'll name see. it after me? Um, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I don't want it to get passed. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have, the twenty sixth district has honored this man. Yeah, Come on. yeah, that's true. Oh, but on parchment paper, honored all of us. You're much more popular with twenty sixth than in Dover. I'll say that. Oh. Um, <laughs> so the point I was trying to get to is like I, I agree with what you're saying, and I think there are legislators, and I count myself as one of them that um push the narrative within the body the point i was trying to get to though is public opinion on policing is not there yet and that's something that kirsten was talking about like that's what we can work on as well from the outside because it's very difficult to encourage and and um you know uh, what's the word i'm looking for motivate legislators to vote on things that they can't look to their constituency and say oh yeah they support this when you and the say reason it's not why there, do you I'm, mean i'm not done let me let me finish. i didn't understand what i haven't meant. tied it all together yet. okay, okay cut okay. me off sorry, sorry. Me sound crazy. Question, but i'll write it down i'm not crazy folks um where i was trying to get to is when we talk about stakeholders in quotes right 
it is important to have police at the table for some of these conversations. Now, not necessarily to take their voice and put it higher than everyone else's, but they're the ones that understand from their perspective how policing happens in the state. So if they push back and they say, um, no, if if you open up, like I've heard this from constituents, they say, if you open up all records, even unsubstantiated rec- reports, um, that's going to put our officers and their families at risk. That's going to put their privacy on the line. And people already don't want to do this job. And they feel like if they don't have privacy and they don't have like the ability to live their lives separately from their job, they think people are, gonna, are less likely to even apply from that. Now, once you hear that, you can decide whether you believe that to be true or not. You can go and talk to constituents and see whether that's true. And I think I think it's not true. And I think a lot of their claims are not true. <laughs> um, and that's not just from my own personal opinion, but also from hearing people who have talked to officers one on one and they've said, no, we need to repeal Leobor because it's impacting how people see me as an officer and how they value the institution and all of that. But I think I think it's a little bit simplistic to say that, like, these conversations don't need to happen at all. It's just really the perspective of like once we have the conversation and you've heard them out, what do you do from there? Yeah, it's just difficult. I I, I understand what you meant, and I'll I'll scrap the other question because it's not that important. But Misty, I, I know you've still got like two segments coming in the call. Do you do any future casting or predicting as far as like reform versus repeal versus, you know, like do you inject any sort of like how you would, how you would see Leah Borg going forward? So I think, you know, that the representative has a really good point, which is that people have different opinions about this. Um, My opinion is, is that, first of all, I know that Maryland and New York called it a repeal. But when you look at the strike through underline, they did add in new language. So I think it's just what do you want to call it? Right. Um, This would, in my opinion, the only thing that... um, well, that's not fair to say. The most important thing is, is that the confidentiality clause needs to be repealed. But it can't just go away. In Under Delaware law, drinking game, um, <laughs> I think you need active language that makes it public. Like, you just do. So um, that's – I don't feel like it would be fair to call what my office has proposed a repeal because I think a repeal means getting rid of the whole thing. I think it's reform because I think you need to get rid of the bad language and then have proactive language of what do we get, how do we get it, who gets it. Yeah, I feel like a full repeal would be chaotic for your job, right? Because like then well the courts would then have to like suss out whatever exists then. I don't know, like to your point about how Maryland just like they did a lot of strike throughs but they also added language to help clarify. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I think there's three components to Delaware Leobor. There's the due process part, there's the transparency part, and there's the accountability part. So I am really focused on the transparency part and, you know, other fantastic people like Hanif Salam um, and Cheyenne Miller and Kobe Owens have been working really hard on the accountability part in addition to the transparency part. Um, So there's a lot of different aspects of it. And Anton's Law in Maryland went really far um, and did, you know, has, I think has had a meaningful impact in Maryland and will continue to have a meaningful impact in Maryland. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, what does Delaware have the appetite to pass and what if we have to triage, what is the triage that we need to do? Um, But, you know, my office wants access like the public Mm -hmm. um, to everything. And I think that, you know, transparency 
in my opinion, will make things better. And I think that when transparency has happened in other places, the sky hasn't fallen. That's like the problem I have with kind of the arguments of, well, uh, and that goes to one of the Delaware call pieces of like, no one wants to work here. And what are we going to, what's going to happen when all this comes out? It's come out other places. Right. It's either been out forever or laws have changed in the past few years to make it transparent. New York, Maryland, the sky hasn't fallen there. And so I don't logically um, sometimes understand the arguments where um, the the worst thing ever never happened in the other places where it exists and it's public or it has become public. So why is Delaware going to be the exception? And I, you know, one of the Delaware call pieces um, goes to um, there was a study done of I think it was 344 police chiefs and sheriffs from all across the country of uh, police misconduct records are public. How'd that go? And there was only one example, and it was not given with any sort of detail, of all 344 people who responded to the survey and all of their collective experience where records are public, where there was um, some sort of threat or some sort of uh, force used, but it, no other detail about whether it was a threat of force or whether there was something else out of all of those examples. Um, and who knows how else we got to that place, right? Because there weren't enough details given. Um, and so that's why I just respectfully don't buy the argument of like, if it happens here, it's going to be the end of days because it yeah. just isn't true elsewhere. In fact, amazing things have happened other places. Um, people that were wrongfully convicted, it's been overturned. Um, you know, with the exonerated five, formerly known as the um, Central Park Five, who were the young men who were wrongly accused of um, assaulting a woman there. Those police officers, once New York made their records public, they had misconduct leading up to that incident. Um, we look at the Baltimore Gun Trace Task Force, which is the subject of We Own the City, um, which I say at all the things I talk at, I'm sorry, I don't have stock in HBO, but anyone who cares about this stuff should watch We Own the City because it's about the Baltimore Gun Trace Task Force. It's an awesome show. It's by the guys that wrote The Wire. And it talks about, in Maryland, when the misconduct records were secret, how that so entrenched these officers to be able to act with impunity. And, um, you know, I just think that transparency is better than secrecy. And I just don't understand when I talk to folks like if I if the law right now was like, hey, the records are public and a bunch of, um, you know, activists came and said, hey, we want to make these all secret. I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. that um, the members of the General Assembly and the greater public would be like, why would we make these secret? So if we're if we're not willing, it doesn't make any sense that um, we're OK with a law that if it were to change we would not want the opposite result. I, that wasn't, you know, beautifully put at the end, but. Well, I don't want to derail. Like, you just made me think of something about how, like, well, why does Delaware think it's, like, unique, special? <laughs> like, this, the sky will fall here. And I don't want to derail this, but, like, I really think that's what the expression the Delaware way is. It is Delaware putting it out there that we are a unique environment yeah. and st static. We, ha we cannot have much change. Like, we just need how it's always yeah, been. Even and, in Even in this situation where... 
like you get that a little bit like with the franchise because we only do it. So if you change it, the whole the whole house of right. will come down. Which is actually true. For that, <laughs> that is maybe. the golden well, we're losing, egg. We're losing the gift card thing or the, right. money, the money transfer. The money, what, what, what the hell are we going to do? That we stole all that money. Deal. Unclean yeah. property. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we stole all that money for so long. Um, but in this case, as, as Misty said, like most other places are, are just doing it this way. Like nothing's – like. They're, I mean, they obviously have the same problems that everywhere else has, but like the the severe and extreme fear mongering, yeah, it, do, it just doesn't happen, you know. And and the last thing I'll say on that is I, I sort of, and as I said, like I I've I've worked for people at big companies, and you know, I, I they didn't issue me a gun and let me kill people, but you know, they gave me like access to their shit, and no one ever asked me like. How, what like what rule what the rules were going to be? They just told me what they were, and I just did that. And then they just paid me twice a month for however long I worked there. Like no one's saying like, do you think it would be a workable thing if you had to fill out this spreadsheet twice a week? And said, do you think you could do this? Like no one ever fucking asked me. They just said fucking do this, or or you don't work here anymore, and you do it. And so like I don't know. I mean everybody works or has worked in some fashion somewhere, and. Like the rules, unless you work in like a you know a really incredible environment, they just tell you what they are. They don't ask for your fucking. Clearly, input. you were never a unionized worker. <laughs> well, again, I was never a unionized worker. That's true, and and again, that's fine. But but what I'm what I'm saying is under some and 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 if you want to if if you want to talk about working conditions, or you want to talk about salary or benefits or time off or all of that, I think everybody should be able to be organized. Not the cops, though, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I just think that we, for some reason, we have this idea that, sort of like Bill said about the the status, we're special snowflakes here. We can't, if anything changes, the whole thing will fall apart. And And if there's going to be change, it's going to be gradual. Right? Yeah, because if you like, do anything different, way different today, that like will fall into the ocean. Like right. it's like, but as Misty said again, that doesn't happen. Like no, just like I think it's a great example of like you said this. First, you said you didn't want any discourse. We can run the tape back. Then you said <laughs> we need cut, to have Carl, discourse. Cut all right? this out. <laughs> um, I want this all cut. But out. I think it's really important, right? Like if you if you don't have the police at the table to explain all the reasons why they think it's bad, then you don't have the opportunity to explain why they're wrong on all of those different things in front of people who value what the police say and what they think and their feedback. So I think these kinds of conversations are really important. And I think when you have people at the table that do value the public's opinion more than anyone else, regardless of what stakeholder it is, you end up in the right spot. Now, we'll see what happens this session. I don't know if you know we have 21 plus people that are going to vote in the way of the people and not in the way of cops like that we'll have to see but i mean i think i think for the most part it's out there at this point like you know which way you're going to vote on it you have enough information to make a decision based on your values yeah i mean i i I think that's right and again i'm sort of trying to foster a uh a spirited conversation about it but but yeah i i, I can and, and also i understand asking people up, onto which whether unionized or not like when we implement this thing that we need to do what's a way that's going to be like the least painful for you like what way sort of more like sort of fits with like your current process how do we fit this how do we 
you know, fit this new piece of work into your current process. Like, you know, those conversations have, have, have had hundreds and hundreds of times, right? Like, that, that's one thing. But, but saying, like, we're not going to do that process, that's not really, really going to fly. So, well, Misty, thank you so much for coming in. Are, thank you for having me. Are you staying for the fun part? I am going to stay for the fun part. I, I'm assuming I'm a silent partner at that in that part, and I'm just here as a member of the audience. I think with I a think box of popcorn. I think per- perhaps you might get so excited that you might have to jump in. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you saw, see, Kirsten thought that she was going to be just in the audience in this one, but she was like, "I'm jumping in." She had to jump in, so it happens. It does happen. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if our friend. We never even said your name. But you use you use the representative. So we're not even going to say your name. We're going to pretend you're like you weren't here. You're not going to put me in the show notes. <laughs> ha! No, we're gonna. Yeah. Okay. You guys that. could just put Thank like you. put like a voice mod on my. <laughs> and thank you for this, by the way. Before you, you might have to go because you have uh, you have a, a prior engagement. But I do want to read this. Uh, the. And, and, and I'm glad everybody's here, too, to read this, because the Highlands Bunker was, was given an award last week. I, I wasn't there, but uh, my, my partners and, and colleagues, uh, Super Producer Carl Stomberg and uh, William C. Martin Esquire, uh, were able to pick this up. Uh, <clears throat> the Order of the 26th Representative District at Medina's 223rd uh, half birthday, 200... <laughs> Why are you letting? You're making me fuck it up. Why are you reading it like that? He's reading it into the record. 2023. Yes, 2023. The order of the 20th. Son of a bitch. I look up. I'm trying to read it, and all I see is her her face and her hands like this. Because I look. She's 2020. Well, you're only half of 2023. Medina was nice enough to uh, to recognize the reporting that we did for the uh, the state v uh, Kathleen McGinnis trial, and I really appreciated it, um, just because like you know Bill Carl Bill and I, uh, you know it turned into a thing that was a lot more work than we thought it was going to be in the beginning. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> an understatement, <laughs> <laughs> especially since I thought I was going to be t- walking to the courthouse every day, not driving to Dover every day. But um, it was it was really cool um, to get recognized for it because, yeah, we still we people still um, come up and like, especially going to the McCall thing because I saw some yeah. people that I knew and you're like you're doing this one too I'm like not not like that um, that was a sort of a special case but um, thanks for that thanks for recognizing that and uh, you know we had a good time too I'm not gonna lie I mean you know it's fun when you can go to work and also do drugs while you're there, um, <laughs> folks. Um, as little as two dollars a month, you're going to be able to listen to the next part. <laughs> what did I say? Keep going. Wrap it up. You know what? I'm not doing it at all. What? Start, start wrapping it up. Well, we didn't say anything bad here. Here's what I think. You know, we're going to have to have a talk about this with your colleagues because we come in here and we have serious conversations. I take what they're doing in Dover very seriously. <laughs> You know what? Here's what I want everybody down there to know. There's only three words. <laughs> this is going to make it in. I'm going to cut this all out. You're not going to cut this out. I am going to cut it. You're not going to cut it out. I can just hear I said three words, right? You know what those three words are? Do you know? Yeah. Leftist.